Good morning. This is a recast from Adam McDonald, who is a bodybuilding coach that we've been helping to grow his online fitness business, Health Mastery. And he recently interviewed me on some of the victories and foibles of the healthcare system, which I thought that you guys would enjoy. So without further ado, here is Adam interviewing me. Very meta. What is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode. Um, it's been a few weeks, about three weeks since I uploaded an episode. Life has just been busy, but back with another great episode today, or at least I think it's a great episode. I have on Dr. Yusuf Smith. He's a competitive gymnast, medical doctor, powerlifter, and one of the coaches at Propane Fitness. Johnny and Yusuf helped thousands of clients get leaner, stronger, and happier with their physiques by prescribing rules that are simple but produce dramatic results. So, I've had uh, multiple conversations with both Johnny and Yusuf in the past, but really down to earth, earth guys. Um, and as I mentioned, Yusuf is a doctor, but also has been coaching people online for many years. So really great conversation to try and understand uh, his view of both the medical field and the kind of personal trainer field and how those two overlap and some of the pitfalls on either side. Before I get into the show, I just want to mention the podcast sponsor for this episode, and that is EndeavorNutrition.co.uk. They are a UK-based supplement company who are backed by research. I've been using their products for a couple of weeks now, over a month now at this stage, and do really recommend them. If you want to check out some of their formulated products, you can go to the website EndeavorNutrition.co.uk show notes uh, you'll find the links and also you can use the discount code podcast 10 to get some money off so with that being said sit back relax and listen to this episode between myself and dr yusuf smith so yusuf thanks for joining me today it's good to chat to you again man thanks for having me on so for those who don't know who you are um please let them know who you are Sure. So I am one half of Propane Fitness. I set up uh, this as a fitness blog, really just a sounding board for our ideas with my business partner, Johnny, 10 years ago now, 12 years ago. God, that's flown by. So 2008. And at the time, me and Johnny were working in finance. We started to kind of build a bit of momentum just organically from the content that we were putting out. And it got to the point where we quit our full-time jobs and Johnny went full-time propane. I decided, you know, what would be helpful for this fitness business would be going to be a doctor. So I took a little detour, uh, went to med school. I'm now working as a, uh, as a hospital doctor and uh, that's where we are today. Mm, that is very interesting and uh, a real doctor, not a kind of a PhD doctor, right? So apparently, um, we are the fake doctors, the medical doctors oh, are the fake right. ones and, and PhD. I, I can't remember why, but there's some like root word of the, the term where if you have a PhD, that's like the official one because they will get the PhD guys get quite snooty about that. So I'll, I'll give them that one. Um, but, but yeah, so, so propane fitness really was a, um, initially a way to kind of put our own thoughts on, on paper, but it was primarily to distill a lot of the, the the bullshit that you get in the in the fitness industry, a lot of the kind of disparate information and false claims to try and just provide something that gives people a bit of clarity and a bit of a north star to gain muscle and lose fat. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think like I wouldn't necessarily paint you as a doctor if that makes sense. Like a lot of doctors, they. 
I don't know how to really explain. And I, I'm 100% just generalizing here, but just a bit strange. Um, but I, could, <laughs> I I wouldn't see a doctor going to a you know a house party and doing a, a beer bong. But I, I could see with enough peer pressure, you could you'd probably do one. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah. So that you know what that's it, that's an interesting observation, and I I agree. Um, I think this is partly because. I'm going to get quite esoteric here quite early on in this podcast, but I think it, it is something that medical school does to you that creates a set of um, restrictions in your, in your body and in your mind. It really, I mean, it's, it's the hardest thing I've ever done and it really does forge you through and push you to levels beyond that you thought was possible, but you have to pay a price for that. And especially in the UK, where doctors are trained from the age of say 16, where they're often pressured by their parents or by um, societal values and and they get pushed into med school, which is a all consuming thing. It, it does, uh, you you pay the price and you end up um, becoming a more, so usually the selection criteria for people who become doctors are are people who have a kind of obsessional streak to them. Um, They may be slightly more on the autism spectrum, um, but very high functioning. Sorry about that. Uh, and I'm just going to put my phone on airplane mode. There we go. Um, no worries. But they're, but they're quite high, high functioning people. Um, but only one kind of aspect of their development is heavily focused on. And the social interaction that's done in patient care should be natural and flowing, but um, it becomes scripted from the way that we're trained. So I would always encourage if someone is, interested in being a doctor following the American model of doing something with your life before you go into med school allows your character to kind of form itself a little bit more so you can maintain a semblance of a personality and you don't end up like this kind of beer bong rejecting kind of person that you described there yeah that's the whole point just to do, do something with your life before so that you will take the beer bong um <laughs> but I think no I've actually I don't know if I've ever come across a doctor I don't come across many doctors, but in fairness, but I mean, I think I know one friend who's a doctor, maybe, maybe two, but they've gone straight into it. So I've never experienced somebody who's done say finance. I think that's what you said you've done. And I know you work in corporate world and then went on to be a doctor because it's, 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 it's log. Like it is very, very long. And I'm sure you're probably not even finished your, your studies. I'm not sure, but if you want to be specific, you know, pediatric surgeon or whatever, you have to do more exactly it it never ends and this is part of the problem that this kind of whole thing perpetuates itself and in a way this is this is what the system needs because as a doctor you are especially in a a country like the uk where we're very protocol and guideline based we are walking algorithms you know we we are implementers of the the guidelines and the protocols and, and obviously with some degree of clinical judgment but we don't want people that are kind of maverick thinkers we want to be able to take a patient through inve- diagnosis, investigation, treatment, and follow-up. And so as a result, you, you're kind of funneled into this approach with the way that you think. And that is what makes a good doctor, someone who can implement that well. What it doesn't work so well with is um, moving out of that career and applying skills that do require more agency and um, more kind of, I want to say twisting the rules a bit more. Um, and you know, that's, as I say, part of the, the way that the educational system makes, um, as algorithm 
creators and almost like a learned helplessness that comes out as a result. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't know if it's just a survivorship bias, but obviously one of the reasons why I wanted to kind of get you on was to talk about how, you know, doctors views on health and fitness with through the lens of somebody who was first a coach and was evidence-based you associate with yourself with the likes of you know eric helms and, and that kind of train of thought not, not necessarily just associate yourself with him but not just coming from i'm a doctor i have this authority bias therefore um you know this is my view on health and fitness and not health maybe health is a bit of a gray area but say fitness and you know weightlifting and, and diet that pertains to body composition not diet in terms of you know cardiovascular risk or whatever um sure I, I think health is quite actually a broad term when i think about it and um, people think that and i've experienced this myself as like someone who just kind of looks fit that people ask me these you know questions about you know red meat risk and uh the red meat and you know processed meat risk with cancer and you know those epidemiological studies and in fairness, I do, and just coincidentally study masters in nutrition. But just because this has happened before, I even started studying. It's just people just think that health and you know fitness are the same thing, where it's a huge broad spectrum. And I've actually just started a new masters this or transferred masters this week to more specific in, in nutrition because I feel like it's so broad that if I want to have any confidence or knowledge specifically, I have to kind of focus on it because it's so broad. Um, but yeah, it's awesome. But yeah, so so coming back to the the, the idea of doctors and, and nutrition, what do you learn as a as a doctor? And where you, was there anything that from your your knowledge already from nutrition and, and just application of that from coaching thousands of clients with propane fitness over the years? And I believe you're probably one of the first online coaching businesses that in the UK. Um, what what did you learn in terms of nutrition, and then also training at all i don't know if you learn anything about training but you know exercise and then were you surprised with anything and we're like wow that is really like wrong sure so that, that that's a really interesting point as well and and i also like massive hats off for going and doing the the masters in nutrition because that's that's no joke doing that so um yeah the, the thing that you raised there is that people see health and fitness as the same thing and it's often a case of like looking at what is the problem I'm looking to solve and who is the, the right person to solve that problem. And so, yes, like the, the, the issue comes out through two main, two main sources. The first one is that people see them as the same thing. And so they will see their doctor for a health or lifestyle type problem, at least more so in, in the States. Now, the job and the role of a doctor is diagnosis and treatment of pathology of illness. So really that's where the, the remit ends, unless you are a specialist in lifestyle or preventative medicine, for example, whereas a coach or a, or a, a health coach or a nutritionist or, or anything in that sphere is not about diagnosis or treatment of illness. It's about, um, taking people from normal to optimal. How can we optimize someone's performance or their health? Now, you do occasionally get people, professionals from either territory stepping out of their lane. And this is where there's a problem. In the UK, I feel like this happens less from doctors to give out kind of 
advice outside of their remit. And this is because of the governing bodies that the, the GMC, for example, are, um, because they are very, these people are very protective over their registration. They don't want to step outside of their remit and give advice that could open them up to some kind of liability. The problem that I see more frequently is personal trainers giving out medical advice. Um, I retweeted something yesterday of someone that said, if I ever get cancer, I'm going to cure it with CBD and cold showers and fasting. And, and it's like, but, but this is kind of the Dunning- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is like the Dunning-Kruger yeah. effect of like people have got a small amount of knowledge and they think that the whole cancer industry is some big shill and that they're hiding the, the ultimate cure behind the thing. Cause it, and, and it's like that, but the, the reason that these people can can say anything is that the friction to, to just say anything online is very low and there's no governing body for a PT for them to get struck off from. So you actually see doctors being disproportionately quiet in those kind of situations and PTs stepping over in, into, the, um, into the kind of giving medical advice lane as well. This is in the UK. I think in the US we actually have a different dynamic because the, the, the whole incentive structure is set up so that um, doctors are really paid for over-investigating people or for, for, for basically, they've got a lot more freedom with the kind of treatments that they can administer. So you get a lot more kind of quack type people in the States compared mm-hmm. to the UK. And uh, it just, it, it's so fascinating to see that the differences in, in what you, you know, you can basically go to the States and find a doctor that will give you a specific treatment that you want you know you can go out looking for growth hormone and you'll find someone who's who'll be like yep i think this is exactly what you need and it's much more of a consumeristic um kind of model of patient interaction yeah i think well the question is how much do the big farmers pay you and do you make more from that than from <laughs> propane fitness because we know you're just so, trying to push medicines on people and that we can solve it with plant-based diet or whatever it's exactly that. Yeah. I've, I've, I've got a mate who's a, he's a, he's a big farmer and he's just pushing his anti-disease agenda on everyone. And, um, and I'm just the mm. mouthpiece for it. Yeah. I think it's actually kind of funny when you just take a step back and try and think critically when people say that, do you just, do you think that every single person has this, you know, inherent evilness that's a doctor that just doesn't want to tell the truth and that they're not family people that have kids and wives or mothers and fathers it's just it's just mad when you think about it um it'd be so impressive if it was a real conspiracy like they've managed to pay off everyone yeah. to to do this and you're right like looking at the the economics of it like if the the farmer on his uh, on his tractor actually had a um like the cure for cancer and he was hiding it like that then as soon as one person launches that to market they're going to clear up so it logically just doesn't make sense like the market forces would eliminate any kind of hidden cures that um that exist out there Mm. yeah and i think that the whole on the flip side as well the whole rhetoric that you know food is medicine and you can cure food with you know you can cure illnesses with food and i i think to be honest like we still don't really know a lot about you know the properties of plant foods and other foods that, that could have beneficial effects and synergistic effects long-term and phytonutrients. But, you know, that's more preventative and just best case scenario. When you think about, you know, just genetics and, and other lifestyle factors, you know, medicine is medicine and food is not medicine. And that's the problem where people start thinking, 
you know, I don't need medicine because I'm going to use this food. I don't know if you've experienced that at all as, yeah, a, as a doctor absolutely. or so, as, as a coach. Yeah. So, um, the big one at the minute is fasting and, uh, I had a chat with someone yesterday who it, it, it was off the back of this kind of, um, I'm going to cure my cancer with CBD and fasting in the future. And I think it's people don't distinguish between like, yes, there are cellular mechanisms in fasting and in autophagy that are protective of cancer development. But that is totally different to if someone has an active form of cancer and you need to treat it. It's uh, so, yeah, like I'm very much a proponent of, you know, manage your risk factors and stay lean, don't smoke, don't drink, um, eat foods that are protective of um you know, disease development in the future, minimize the risk of metabolic syndrome and cancers. That, it, totally no problem with that. But it's like when when that disease progresses into something which is, in, is now a medical problem, then um, yes, continue the preventative stuff, but that person now needs medical treatment. Mm, yeah. I think fasting is a, is a you know, pretty popular one. I tried to look into it recently, but I think it would just it take a very, very long time to properly understand you know, autophagy without just saying I read this article and, you know, really looking into research and it's pretty complex and I'm sure you've done your fair share of, of looking into, into that stuff. But, um, but yeah, I, I can't really comment or don't really want to comment and say, I think for fat loss is a completely different question, but the benefits of autophagy perhaps for health may, may be there, but I don't know if we have any conclusive answers. Um, but, but as a doctor, when you're, or as a, a medicine student, when you were a medicine student, and the curriculum maybe most likely is different around the world, but what, what do you learn around preventative measures in terms of nutrition or is there anything that you learn in nutrition or, you know, exercise in general, or is it just more about treating diseases? Yeah. So th this was a common claim as I was going through med school, uh, it was in the news, but people were saying doctors only get 90 minutes of nutrition teaching over throughout med school or whatever. And that certainly wasn't my experience, but I can only speak for the med school that I, that I went to in the UK. I do think the curriculum is quite similar um, across different med schools, but there will be different emphasis depending on the area. Um, and because of a national shortage of GPs of, of, of general practitioners, there is more emphasis placed on preventative medicine, lifestyle medicine, nutrition. There wasn't much about training. So that is uh that, that is a big one. But in terms of nutrition, I mean, we, we had three or four months of it and it was, um, it was very kind of very intensive looking at, um, kind of the biochemical pathways and then moving up to the kind of um, higher and higher, um, levels of how that impacts metabolic syndromes and, uh, and diabetes and so on. Um, so yes, it, it theoretically it's, it is there. Um, but I think it doesn't get applied into um, it doesn't get applied in, clinically in a system that's overrun and rushed. And if you have people in a hospital where you just the whole thing is is basically a conveyor belt, and even in general practice, you have seven minutes with a patient. And so I think the problem really I see it bottlenecked uh, not so much by kind of the knowledge of the practitioners that are working with them with the patients, but it's more about um, aligning the, the incentives. And if you have a, if you have seven minutes with a patient and they come to you with a problem and they're looking for 
pill or a quick solution, it's going to be very difficult to convince that patient in a seven minute session to consistently eat a calorie deficit for the next six months, even though that may well be kind of um, the, the, the best solution for them. And the doctor may know that, but it's like, I've got one piece of advice or one thing to be able to do to this patient before they leave. So I think there, it's more of a systemic problem. And I'm so glad that the fitness industry has started to become so normalized now to the point where like during lockdown this year, you're seeing, you know, you go out to the park or something and you see someone just doing lunges or yoga or whatever. And a couple of years ago, that would be like, Oh, look at that weirdo doing that. Whereas now it's, it's just completely normalized and expected. And I think the biggest thing in preventative lifestyle medicine is going to come less, less from doctor's advice or doctor's kind of um, education with this stuff and more about a cultural shift of, of this becoming not just like, oh, there's the gym rats and the gym bunnies over there. It's like, this is just part of being a human. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I do think it's, 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 there's a lot of complexities in it, especially with like poorer areas in, you know, certain parts of England that just, that, that are unhealthy, but not just because they're lazy, you know, it, or because they don't want to exercise, but just, um, just uh, economic status and just the, their ability to afford foods and just uh, prepare foods and, and time, et cetera. But I think that's a topic for, for another day. Um, but yeah, what, what I think would be like really good. And I don't know if I could see this happening, but you'd have these uh, personal trainers who would be, trained up but to a very very high level and they could be referred to by a doctor but i think the barrier for personal trainers is just so low and i I know because i remember when i started personal training i'd already had a lot of knowledge i was doing bodybuilding etc but i hadn't got the cert and i needed to get the insurance thing because i was starting to work in the gym so i I did it i think it was issa and in 48 hours i started i finished in 48 hours and got my first (laughs) so i mean i did it online a student yeah, I paid like $700 or whatever. Um, in fairness, I knew a lot of the content, but that's how easy I could easy just go into the gym then and start training people. And like, you know, a doctor referring me, somebody who's, let's say, more vulnerable, like obese or something like that, you know, yeah, go ahead and start doing cleaning jerks or deadlifting your body weight, <laughs> or something, you know, like that would. The, this is that's the problem, what I man. see. I, I, I was in the gym uh, the other day and I saw a person trying just like doing this very, like, particular isolation work that you'd probably give a bodybuilder who's like you know focused on aesthetics and this like with a woman that's like middle-aged just why are you doing that you know and not even doing properly so it's just like it's just guys obviously read flex magazine and then and that's the problem i think it's just the barrier to entry is too is too low um and it doesn't seem to be like medical or professional personal trainers of course there is but again you touched on the point where there's some personal trainers or or you know, experts or gurus that, you know, are now kind of like doctors, but functional doctors where they, they're giving out information about, you know, medical information almost, you know, they're just short of saying, you know, here's your prescription or use this. And they're kind of seen as, oh, these guys are really knowledgeable because he knows, because he's not talking about what the other personal trainer is talking about. And that's what something, the more that I've educated myself, the more, um, or the less likely I am to, you know, be very exact with, I know like, you know, even with the BCAs, like oh, they're wasting money, throw them in the bin and think, well, like 
thinking critically, maybe there's some use in some cases and we still probably don't know the full extent of the information and it's context dependent. So I'm not just going to say like this is black and white answer. And, but you see that a lot of personal trainers, they're very convinced with, you know, or they're, they're very um, strong minded with a lot of claims. Um, so where do you feel that the, the line is between that? Because I know that you're, you're both. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point as well. And I, you know, it's a difficult because you've got people like you who um, have, you've kind of come full circle to um, being extremely restrained and nuanced in, in the way that you would talk about something like PCAAs, but it's not very sexy. And the people who um, get, the people who shout loudest and seem the most yeah. confident about something are the ones that can convince a layman that they somehow have more credibility or more authority and you're absolutely right. Like I, I can't think I can't even blame personal trainers that give medical advice because why wouldn't they? There's no incentive structure to stop them from doing so. And so as a result, the, um, the incentive then becomes how can I sound the most convincing or how can I be, um, the most like clear cut and black and white and everything. And, uh, you know, I, yeah, we, we had a, we had a fitness client referred to us who sent us the plan that her previous coach had sent her and it had prescriptions in it. It was like prescriptions for ephedrine and yohimbine and, 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 we were just, and it was like big doses as well. Like stuff that I was like, man, I, I don't know if I would give that to a horse. So, um, so yeah, like, but then what's to stop them? If he prescribes something and she has a cardiac arrest, there's no, there's no recourse. It's not, he's not going to get struck off from any kind of professional body. Mm. Um, so you're right that this has to be a kind of systemic change. And I, I am totally, I, I love your idea of having um, GP referral specialist personal trainers that work with GP clinics and practices so that there's a continuity of care because the problem comes exactly where a patient comes in, they've got seven minutes with a doctor. Doctor says, you need to lose some weight. I've got four more minutes to explain stuff to you. All right, see you later. And the patient just drops off a cliff. So to have some kind of pathway where they can get referred through a, um, a, a nationally sanctioned personal trainer is going to be fantastic. And it, it avoids that problem that you said of someone's got a group on uh, level three online and they are making an overweight woman with thyroid problems do clean and jerk. Mm. Yeah, I think that that's the issue. It needs There needs to be like almost like a clinical level of personal trainer. I think... I live in Dublin, but in the UK you have STPs, don't you, or Sustainable Transformation Partnerships. If if within that in the NHS you had like personal trainers, like GPs, local authorities, personal tra- personal trainers, doctors, so that it was this um, like never-ending kind of you know um, one one or single experience for the patient rather than them going to just you going here saying the same thing, going here saying the same thing, and it's just in. But, but I mean that's know that's that's wishful thinking probably um well yeah i it, it's a shame because it probably won't get funding because of the cycles of elections being so short that th- nobody's gonna fund that if it's if the benefits are seen in 20 years even though it's like long term it is like the best health intervention that they could do you know pound for pound isn't it um but instead it's kind of just shuffling things around each, each election cycle, which, which is a shame. Mm. Yeah. So, so I know you said you originally wanted to be a doctor because you thought it would help your propane fitness. What was that? A, 
was that a bit kind of a was that a mistake? A cheek. Yeah. Well, was that, yes. I mean, has it helped? I mean, of course, it's going to help. You know, if you want to be a, if you're a massage therapist, if you go and do it, you know, doctorate in physiotherapy is probably going to help. But it was it necessary? Yeah. So, well, so, so I actually did uh, a sports massage course as well, and um, yeah, similar similar kind of curriculum that you look at it and you're like, this is straight out of like some '80s flex magazine, and they've not updated the information since. Um, but, you know, learning on the job with something like massage therapy, um, just because of being interested in musculoskeletal medicine, but I've not renewed my um, my membership with that for now, partly because COVID as well. But um, so was it useful to be a doctor? I think it depends on on like the specific career goal. It's not something I'd recommend for everyone, particularly if they're if they're not looking to be a doctor long term. Um, the the level that the knowledge upgrade and the kind of contextualizing of the physiology and and all the pathophysiology was incredible like that i just think there's no way without the, the pressure of med school that i would have forced so much into those five years so i'm very grateful for that even though it's kind of i think it's aged me by about 20 years but but there we go um I guess the the question is, would I do it again? And this kind of, uh, that's a hard one because now that I'm, now I'm 30, that's another five or six years of time. And I think that would be the main thing um, because time always has an opportunity cost and spending a year doing, doing one thing means that you're, you're stagnating in other dimensions of your life. So only for that reason, but the the privilege and the um, the value of of doing turning up and doing the job every day, like that, is priceless. And I'm 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 actually really grateful and glad to be to be able to do the job that I do. Mm. So so as a doctor, do you? And I think first of all, just maybe it's just the UK, but doctors are way way underpaid. I think I, I follow. I've been following, and I know you guys have done uh, had him on the podcast, Ali Abdal. I've been following him for yeah. just. When I started studying over a year ago, or doing my master's, I should say, uh, watching his videos and how to like how to kind of study and stuff, and just the, he obviously explains how much to get paid, and it's just you could make that much work in a supermarket if you worked enough hours, and it's crazy <sighs> to think you know how little. But, but one thing I also noticed was when he, when you had him on his podcast, and you know, no offense to him, I would say this to him as well. It's, it seemed how little he knew about training and nutrition. You know, he just did a few pull-ups every now and then and a takeaway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, yeah, the, this is it, isn't it? It's like, because medicine is so wide, it's like, it's not matched to the epidemiological risk. It's, it, risk. Yeah, it's matched yeah, yeah. to hospital departments. And so you can kind of, you can take your knowledge as far or as little as you want it to. And so, yeah, there are absolutely doctors that have no clue at all about, about this stuff beyond maybe slightly more than, than the layman. And this is in terms of application. Like obviously they it's funny because like well, to pass med school, you have to understand the biochemical pathways and the, yeah. the the nutrition and endocrine kind of ramifications. But in terms of applying that in the real world, it's um, that kind of atrophies over time unless you're using it. Um, but the other thing you mentioned about the pay is, yeah, it's absolutely true. I got paid £1,400 last month. And that was like loads of night shifts, like lot, you know, the, the hours obviously are ridiculous. And you look at the effective hourly rate and you're thinking, yeah, 
I, I could, I, I'd be better off working in Costa. I would have got more sleep and worked fewer hours and earned more money. But yeah, th- this is maybe one of the other kind of systemic problems and this mismatch of agendas with funding and, and so on. Think- but do you think that might be a reason why, and, and more so probably, like you said, in the US, and maybe the pay is slightly different there because I know healthcare is private, but um, that some doctors kind of use that authority to have a very strong stance on health or, you know, a certain way of if eating. Um, I don't think much doctors really talk much about training, in fairness, um, but, you know, very, very heavily focused on one specific area. And, and people do take doctors' words very, very strongly. Even, even to be honest, I think a lot of times they rec- hold it with higher regard than a dietitian. Um, that's just my kind of experience. Yeah, dietitians are so knowledgeable as well, and I think um, if they're, they're often not given the credit that they that they deserve. Um, you're right. I think in the states, it, it's very much leveraged for more for profit and being able to kind of. Um, plug a book or a supplement or a drug that, that they're that they're pushing um it's funny because with with training and talking about training and lifting the, the credibility is how you look or which athletes you've produced mm. so it's quite hard to to fake that and i think um you see the occasional doctor who lifts and they're talking about training and you're like you know what fair enough but you know that most of their knowledge has come from external reading and training themselves um, and I think it's kind of why like being a, being a personal trainer and being, or, or being a coach of any sort and being in shape is the biggest thing you can do for your credibility because you're wearing your, your marketing on your body. Um, and it instantly, like, especially how, you know, the, the niche that you work in with, with bodybuilding, you can't fast track your way to a good conditioned symmetrical physique, like even with drugs to have like a, a a bodybuilder style physique like it says so much about you as a character as a person like you have to have years of consistency and everything dialed in and that doesn't lie so you're right like you have to kind of if you walk the walk and if you have something that's like you can't shortcut that it's an instant credibility is that the same in the medical field i mean you you often hear about a joke of a, like oh you know the doctor's telling me that i'm a beast and he himself is you know huge is that the, yeah. i guess there's no training on that but it is you know does anybody kind of say like give you a nudge here yusuf you're kind of you're an obesity doctor here but you're kind of you know <laughs> you're in you're in four size 42 pants you need to kind of tighten up a bit it's it's awkward isn't it because um we, we we're all as a culture we're very um restrained of being being allowed to say that kind of thing because it's because it's offensive and we're all supposed to be body positive and everything but you're you're absolutely right like on a on a very fundamental level it's not credible if you're if you're telling someone to lose weight or to stop smoking and you're and you're like outside the hospital smoking yourself what does that do for your credibility like it's um it's not something that you can that you can get around or it's kind of the elephant in the room literally so yeah i i agree that as a as a doctor you have to you're considered the bastion of health to your patients and while i don't think you need to be mr olympia you do need to um, demonstrate some degree of like good health practice. Otherwise your patients aren't going to take you seriously. Yeah, no, no, I've heard that before. Like with, with people that I guess if you're giving advice to people and 
you want them to change, but yet you you suffer from the same issue or problem. They just don't feel like what you're saying is going to work, or Cause they, they yeah, they, it's going to seem inauthentic, you know, isn't it? I mean, there, there's exceptions. You know, like having a male gynecologist. Like a, a male can still be a, a good gynecologist. Yeah. There's no there's no conflict there. But you're right with obesity or smoking. Like these are things that are usually within your control. And yeah. yeah. I don't know why, but people would be happy to call out a personal trainer who's not in shape, who's overweight and say, you know, he's, he's, he's fat or whatever, you know, how's he telling people to lose weight? But with a doctor, I don't know, maybe it's cause it's more, it's, it's regarded as more professional or something, or I, I don't Possibly. Really know. Possibly. And I, I think also like the role, even a lifestyle, a lifestyle doctor, like you could argue that yes, they're not as credible because most patients think quite simply and think, well, he's not doing it. So why should I? But at the end of the day, the role of a doctor is to um, direct, is to, to take a history and examination and direct the course of treatment for that patient. So it's kind of, they're kind of outside of that. Like they're not, um, they're not personally involved. Whereas I think a personal trainer, there's a more of an aspirational component to it. Like you're working with a PT and, you, and, and they are the advert for themselves. Whereas the advert for yourself as a doctor is more the letters after your name and the, the certificates on your wall. Yeah. And do you find that it's easier to work with people as a, as a coach than it is as a doctor that both need to make a change? Because I guess with, with, with medicine or as a doctor, they come to you because it, it, it now has to change. Like, it, you know, it's, it's very serious. Like, you know, they don't come to you because they want to lose a bit of weight because they, they'd like to look better, but also improve their health. Like, I think your doctors that don't necessarily optimize people's health, right? They kind of make sure that they, like you touched on, make sure they don't have any diseases or, or improving their health from, say, Absolutely. beyond neutral. Yeah, you, you make sure they're not dying and um, in a stress system, you, send, you have to send them out the door. So, um, that, that's, that's an exaggeration, but, but you get what I mean. And yeah, that it's, it's a really, it's a really important point that, um, there is a big difference between the kind of people that approach you as a coach, because they have put their money where their mouth is. They are coming to you and saying, I want to make this change and I'm doing everything that I can to make it happen. And when people vote with their money, very different as a doctor, if you're working in a hospital, especially in a public healthcare system, you've got someone who turns up on your ward. Sometimes they're quite aggressive with you. They don't even want to be seen by you, but they're there because they're, they're unwell and you need to stabilize them. And you kind of have to, almost, there are some people who don't want anything to do with you. And it's a very different dynamic that you're having to kind of almost um, negotiate some kind of um, agreed plan with them. And so, yeah, you know, you, you will, you will come across patients that, are not motivated to make any lifestyle change. They just want to get out of hospital as soon as possible. Someone who has just had a stroke and they're, you're arguing with them yeah. to let them off the ward to go and have a cigarette, you know, it, but there's, there's a limit to how much you can kind of impose on their lifestyle if they're not also bought into it and oh, yeah. looking to change. I think, I think maybe like with a, as a coach client relationship, you kind of quote unquote fire your clients and just say, get stuffed. But you can't, as a doctor, be like, okay, shag off. Like, I'm not treating you. Like, <laughs> what would happen? Or it's like, you can go see go see Jim next door. Like, deal with him, you know, or whatever. Hot, hot potato, you may at work. <laughs> yeah. So, well, the, so it, it can happen occasionally. Like, for example, the other day, um, one of the patients refused to be seen by my black registrar uh, because he was black. 
and the these things can happen in a hospital and i think you you have to deliver the minimum level of care but if someone is repeatedly being yeah. racist and violent and refusing to be treated i think there is a point where you can say sorry but if you're not willing to cooperate here then we we can't just kind of uh can't just keep you in mm. i guess there's probably a level where it's like leave them out on the on the, on the trolley in the in the the a and e or a you know driveway and just you know they're dying but they don't cooperate so just we're just gonna wait till they die and then then we'll bring them in and uh, they were shouting like don't call the ambulance i can't afford it um so yeah when we've got like this the situation where you could end up in an ambulance and then be given a big bill to have to pay the next day my hold on my uh my thing just went one sec my uh speakers i can't hear you anymore oh no there we go there. yeah no I, my headphones died and then i don't know anyway i'll, I'll oh, fix back in action yeah um yeah so so if you were from the perspective of i don't know we're almost finished but from a perspective of someone who's a professional in professional coach in terms of fitness and you know aesthetics and preventative um health or you know detrimental health or i don't know i don't want to call it preventive medicine but and also as mm-hmm. a doctor what would be the ideal scenario for you know that somebody sees you know this professional in this certain scenario because i, I kind of touched on already that when like i'm kind of hesitant to answer questions that some clients come to me like for example recently a client uh, came to me with like serious knee issues and they they hadn't told me before they onboarded and they said you know serious knee issues and they want me to kind of help them with that and they need to go they can, could barely stand up they need to f- see you know a physio um or i've had in the past where it can clearly tell the client needs to see a psychologist or somebody that's you know is there to talk to them and i felt like i was getting way too pulled in but when you have these pts that are offering everything you know, they're basically, you know, I'm your all for one doctor, you know, GP, um, physiotherapist, psychotherapist, um, shrink, whatever you want to call. Um, and also yeah. it can help you lose a bit of weight as well if you need that. Um, but, you know, who I think I'm not going to blame the clients because it's, it's, it's an issue that's often from our side as a as personal trainer. But I've also experienced in the past myself natural bodybuilding and as you'll know because you've been really lean before you get low testosterone right so the very first time i got like really shredded and did my first bodybuilding show i started getting like depressed at the end at 21 i had no idea what was wrong with me so Mm. i didn't i went to the doctor because i was i didn't know what was wrong with me i just was really low ebb mood i never suffered from depression and uh they got a testosterone test done because the doctor obviously asked me some questions that would, you know, bring up, you know, low mood, low energy, whatever. Um, and I was really low. So the doctor wanted to give me testosterone um, um, gel or whatever you rub on yourself. You were like, bro, I'm a natural bodybuilder. Yeah. I can't be doing well, that. I mean, you know, it's when you're 21 and you wanted to be a bodybuilder naturally and, uh, and that's what they're telling you. But it's only, it's just lucky that I had actually, read something from lane norton to say that you know you this happens and it takes about six months to recover that i mm-hmm. kind of just left it for a while i was like let's leave it for a while and uh you know naturally it came back when i you know ate a few more chocolate bars and got a bit fatter and um, but but now it, it's a normal physiology thing that happens physiological thing that happens and, and you know i still experience it to this day when i diet down but i know that it, it's going to recover but i've also um 
spoke with some clients that have the same issue that, you know, tried to stay way, way too lean. They were just obsessing about staying lean and the doctor gave them TRT, you know? Um, and I think mm-hmm. just the doctor wasn't aware of, you know, what doctors are going to learn about the, the, the physiological, um, you know, uh, changes that occur when you do natural bodybuilding or when you diet down to single digit body fat, starving yourself. It's just not something that's normal, but they probably want to need to see an endocrinologist or a specialist in that area. So what, from, from what I was saying there, what, what ideally would you like a client and, and, and then from a practical application, when someone signs up for you propane, you don't say, well, yeah, you paid 200 pounds a month now, but you're also going to have to get a, a GP a psychologist, you know? Yeah. What, 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 well, you, you, I think you've suggested a really good solution there, which is that um, we, we bridge this gap between GPs who are really the coordinators of care um, and can then join up this dot between health and fitness. And as you said, if you have a client that comes to you with a knee issue, the GP is at the, the coordinator at the center of this, this kind of circle and says, right, you, based on the presentation, you need to see a physio or you need to be referred to orthopedics or you need to have whatever the referral is and you need, or you've got low testosterone, you need to be referred to X, Y, and Z or to this PT. Now, the, the thing that probably does need to be updated with the medical education system, I don't think it really should, I don't think it necessarily is med school. I think med school would be helpful to have, um, a bit more of that stuff like that, but I'm always going to say that because, because of who I am. Um, but med school prepares you for the specialty training and the majority of specialty training is hospital medicine. And in hospital medicine, there is not really much scope within hematology or renal or dermatology or ophthalmology to be kind of covering this stuff. And obviously all of those fields are so wide that they need to kind of have some space for their own things. So where this needs to come in is to update GPs in with this new wave of the fact that fitness and fitness practices are changing very quickly, that we're now going to have new waves of people with labrum tears from doing CrossFit with kettlebells, people who um, are getting stage lean all the time. Like these are not medical presentations that we're used to having, you know, 20 years ago, but now we're seeing loads of young men at 22, 23 with low testosterone, as you said. And I think being able to train GPs and recognize that, these are all sequelae of the fitness wave and here is how to deal with them would be really, really valuable. Yeah. I think, I mean, like if, if you, I don't know, are you a GP or what's your kind of role? So I'm, I'm a hospital doctor at the minute. So I'm in my, uh, my foundation training. Um, what you, what you do when you finish that is uh, you then start to kind of specialize. So GP is the goal for me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, if you were, or when you're a GP, if you saw, some guy that came into you and it's clear that he is lifts weights and was shredded and he was had a lot of testosterone you wouldn't say well we need to put you on some tests you say put a body fat but that you know that's just that's you wouldn't have learned that probably from you know your your, your doctor or your your medical school you would learn it from your working with clients you know the practical application to yourself yeah i think so i, I mean I, I think most most doctors would be able to um to, to kind of put that patient through the correct, mm. correct pathway. Um, the only time it starts to become quite specialist is if you've got someone who in that, you know, you've got that presentation, as you said, someone who's shredded, low testosterone, and they admit that they've previously been on a cycle of steroids or some kind of peptide or whatever that's, that's like 
Ah, right. Yeah. So you'd run a you'd run a hormone panel, and then you'd be like, you know what? I think you need to see an endocrinologist um, because it may well be that they've created some degree of shutdown, or they they need to um, restore their Leydig cell function or whatever it is. Yeah, this this is definitely a topic for another day, or probably never a topic. But just the question that I have is a. Uh, because I don't really know much about you know anabolics or whatever, but I do follow like bodybuilders, and I see that it's become more popular to be like transparent online and and tell people what mm. you use. And then you have these like I won't say self-proclaimed experts, but people that are clearly giving coaching to other people, which half half of its pharmacology. Um, and do do endocrinologists? I don't know if you know any endocrinologists, but do they learn a lot about kind of anabolics and do they stay up to the, the latest research and I, I guess you know steroids is probably a lot more pop, popular and, and used more um, used more widely than people actually think in your recreational you know meatheads so is that something that they're aware of and you know I think that's something that people don't really want to discuss with with a doctor because the doctors they think the doctor's gonna say no you know so I've, I've had some funny experiences with that where I've, I've had um, I've maybe been clocking a patient who's been seen by another doctor um, in the same, you know, in, within the last hour. And to that other doctor, they may have denied steroid use to them. But then when they speak to me, they they admit to it. And I think it's because they can tell that I'm kind of on their level. Like, I'm, you know, they can tell that I lift as well. And and I'm, you know, just talking through and, you know, okay, what what were you doing at the time, right? You were bench pressing, how, how much? And have a bit of banter with them about it. And I think they're much more open to that yeah. because they, they recognize this isn't some like stuffy doctor who's going to judge me for it. Um, at least I like to think that anyway. But um, the, the to answer your question about like how much do endocrinologists know about this kind of stuff? I did an interview actually recently with a guy called Asif Munaf, who is a sports medicine registrar. Really fascinating. He he specialises in performance enhancing drugs and and sports medicine, and you're getting more of these popping up in the UK. There's a few major authorities on this in the states that are kind of deep down the rabbit hole of performance enhancers, and I think that's where because they're used more widely and people are more experimental there, that you're going to have more pockets of expertise. In general, endocrinology is wide field where you will have many the majority of whom will be diabetologists and so they're very good with um with diabetes management you will get some hormone specialists but i think what happens is as you said that it's becoming more widespread and actually the 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 level of experimentation and the new anabolics that people are using the psalms uh, so selective androgen reuptake modulators and um estrogen blockers and even estrogen receptor destroyers um all of the the peptides uh, pro-hormones that they're coming out at a rate that like yeah the kind of traditional knowledge is not really keeping up with so as you said it opens up this uh hole for kind of bro scientists to start coaching with pharmacology and being a lot more experimental and they may well be able to get good results with this, but the further down the kind of experimental route that you go and the more niche kind of stuff that you take, you're starting to then mess with pathways like myostatin and IGF one and mTOR and stuff that is like, Oh, this is, this is a little bit fringe now. And you're going to have a harder and harder time finding a doctor who's going to be able to help if something goes wrong. And the thing that scares me most about that is 
contaminants in these sub in these substances or if you take something that's going to really upregulate parts of your pituitary gland and then you can't stop it you're kind of on your own because you've gone to a doctor who's like do you know what man like there's only there's hardly any uh human studies on this and we don't know where we're what we're playing with whereas if someone's just taken straight up testosterone and they've caused themselves some shutdown most endocrinologists will be able to to help with that so mm. do you do you see what i'm saying that like the the less the more kind of off-piste that you go the more on your own you are yeah i guess because the they're going off-piste for very specific, very very niche reasons and it's not like that will be covered because it's not something that you would typically see it's like the zero zero point one percent of people that do this kind of stuff and take the the new hormone or the pro hormone that's being slightly chemically altered to make it legal by putting an yeah. extra benzene ring or whatever on it and now it's illegal and um, but it, you don't know what the hell is going to happen and um, you do see that a lot a lot i guess with like with drugs and not drugs but you know you see it a lot with the uh, recreational party drugs and nootropics oh, and, it's, and things it's like the, that it's terrifying like what they've done to the, you know, spice, for example, mm. every time they make a modification to it, it has some mad, unpredictable effect. And it's, yep. it's you know, producing yeah. what you think would come out of a zombie movie. I remember the first time, I, I never smoked it, but I, uh, the first time I experienced that was at 18, I was going to a party and uh, a mate of mine smoked it and a few of them had smoked it in a park. And I was the only one out of like five that didn't smoke it and we're supposed to go to this 18th. And uh, he thought that he was a monkey in a cage. And because all the others had smoked it and they were like hallucinating and it was like five o'clock in the day i was the only one that could go with him to the hospital so that was my night ruined sitting in a and e with all these drunk <sighs> drunk kind of uh you know homeless people and just junkies and stuff and it was a nightmare but uh what a rubbish evening <laughs> yeah but 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 anyway man thank, thanks so much for coming on so where, where can people find more about you and uh what are your plans for the future is it to be a full-time doctor is it to, to merge two together is it to, to write a book about your new new uh new ex- experiment or new discovery about this one food that... <laughs> the, the, the one food that doctors don't want you to know about the goji berry extract um man well thanks very much for having me on and uh, you can find out more about me on propanefitness.com so that's propane the gas not our stance on pain um so uh yeah that's the, that's the best place to find kind of the the hub of all of the the types of information that we we have we're on instagram youtube and twitter um and yeah my my plans for the long term i'm going to take a a break from uh full-time training in medicine um for a couple of years see where see where things take me um but yeah the the plan is to integrate clinical work in some capacity uh in the long term i suppose how that how that manifests is uh still still to be determined Mm. It could be like the English uh, doctor Spencer Nadolski, right? That would be lovely. I'd be happy with that. He just sits and makes memes. I think on Instagram all day. <laughs> it does seem like it, doesn't it? But 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 also you just to mention as well. You also do. Uh, I know there's some coaches and personal trainers that listen to this. You do a propane business as well. Thank you. Yeah. So um, Adam's actually had some some great success with this too, and I'm really really pleased to see. Um, we basically set up propane fitness and learned a lot of but made a lot of mistakes learned a lot of uh, a lot of lessons over the over the period and we're able to scale our revenue from kind of capping at about 2k from one-on-one coaching to bringing it up um to six figures from uh 
the, the systems that we now teach basically of, of leveraged coaching. And it's allowed us to deliver a much, much better experience for all the clients and um, to coach many more people and, and reach more people too. So um, we, we now sell um, advice or like that basically using the systems that we've used to grow propane fitness um, for coaches and personal trainers to take their offer online too. So that's on uh, propane-business.com but you can see the whole thing through our channels as well. Perfect. All right, man. Thanks so much for coming on again. I'll leave all those links in the show notes and I'll chat to you soon. Amazing. Adam, thanks a lot. So thanks again for joining myself and Yusuf for this podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. You took something from it. Uh, I definitely love having these kind of just non-scripted chats with people just very open as if I would if I had met them in person and didn't really have any questions really to ask him that I'd thought of it before but just wanted to kind of pick his brain and it's definitely interesting to talk to somebody who has gone to the medical field but first started in coaching and still coaches because we often see you know doctors from above in this very esoteric place and this authority where they you know, tell people about health and nutrition and people just take it for gospel. So again, if you want to find, uh, you know, links to uh, Propane Fitness and their social media handles, etc. and what they do, you can find that in the show notes. And if you want to follow me, you can check me out at healthmastery.co, that's .co, and my Instagram is at adamac192. But until next time, I wish you uh, a farewell.